Take your copy of God's Word and open it to Isaiah 39. If you're joining us for the first Sunday, perhaps, we've been going through the book of Isaiah. We've made it 39 chapters. That's a long, I mean, we're over halfway. Um, we'll take, when Pastor Matt goes on sabbatical in mid-May, we'll take a hiatus and do summer in the Psalms. But until that time, keep on going through Isaiah. Isaiah 39, hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to, Hezekiah, came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried, carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his blessing upon it. Our God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak as we have prayed in song just prior to now, would you speak to us, open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that we would receive what you have for us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. My wife, Precious, and I have a sort of fall movie list. Uh, suspense and thriller movies often make their way on there. And this past year, I think it was at the recommendation of Gary Huckabay, we watched Wait Until Dark. Wait Until Dark is a 1967 movie starring Audrey Hepburn, and she plays a blind lady named Susie. And Susie's husband is a photographer, and he comes home and he leaves on a, on a business trip. Well, in, in the process of him being at the airport and coming home, he brings into the house, through a series of events, this doll. And unbeknownst to him, inside of this doll is something of extreme value. Well. He leaves it at home, he goes on the business trip, and Susie, the, his blind wife, is left there at home. Well, when something of great value goes missing, you know, especially if it's a movie, bad guys come after it. So the bad guys take advantage of Susie's blindness, and it's a, it's a really tense movie because they're in her house pretending to be friends, snooping around. They're killers, and they're willing to kill her, but they can't kill her until they find out where the doll is hidden. But they don't want to let on that they're looking for it. 
I thought of that, that scene or the many scenes in that movie as I read this chapter today. The enemy is in your house, Hezekiah, and you don't see it. Now, in the film, in Wait Until Dark, Susie is physically blind to the enemies in the house. Hezekiah is not physically blind, is he? But he is blind, right? Blinded by something else. He's blinded by his pride. And as we move through this passage, what I want us to do is look at Hezekiah, look at Isaiah, see them as examples with whom we can identify and reflect ourselves against not only Hezekiah and Isaiah, but also the Savior, Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see through this text today is that the proud Christian needs the humble Savior. The proud Christian needs the humble Savior. And we see it start to unfold as we have in our first section, verses 1 to 4, a proud showroom for the visitors. This is like a, you know, whenever you walk into the a car dealership that has uber expensive cars and the pretty glistening showroom with perfectly polished cars on the inside. This proud showroom that Hezekiah has. Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and recovered. Why are the envoys visiting Jerusalem? Why are they visiting King Hezekiah? Well, there are several reasons that are given, and this account is actually reflected in 2 Chronicles 32 uh, in addition to 2 Kings 20. So through these different pieces and through Isaiah 39, we know all the reasons for the envoy's visit. The first one, Hezekiah, we heard that you were sick and that you have made a miraculous recovery. We heard this. 2 Kings 20, or 2 Chronicles 32, also says the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. Remember in just the last chapter, the sign that God gives for the lengthening of Hezekiah's life is for the sundial to miraculously turn back several degrees. And so the sundial of Ahaz, which is mentioned in the last chapter, is an invention from Babylon. And as the Babylonians see the dial go back on their invention. How has this happened? And they get sent to inquire about the sign from King Hezekiah. So, Hezekiah, we heard you were sick and, re and recovered. We saw this amazing sign. And there's a third reason that's not mentioned, but it is a clear subtext. We want an alliance with you because we have a common enemy in Assyria. Babylon at this time was still a vassal state under Assyria. Uh, Babylon would eventually conquer Assyria, but not yet. Babylon is still under Assyrian control, under Assyria's thumb, and Merodach Baladan murdered the Assyrian viceroy to become king of Babylon for a short season. He'll end up getting crushed again. You know, ancient history shows that he gets crushed again. Um, until Babylon finally does come to power and conquer Assyria. But as of right now, he's murdered the Assyrian viceroy, taken power as king, and reached out to Israel for an alliance. And the covering, the, the pretext is, hey, we heard you were sick and get recovered. That's awesome, Hezekiah. Oh, and there was this amazing sign. And 
would you be our friends? What does Hezekiah do? You know, never mind that we are theologically opposed to Israel. Never mind that I just seized power by murdering the Assyrian viceroy. Pay no attention to that. We would like to be your friend. And he says, yes, let me show you all of my amazing resources with our powers combined. No, we are not Captain Planet. With our powers combined, we can take down Assyria as Hezekiah opens up the showroom and walks them through. A proud show of his possessions is what we see. And in verse two, really, I mean, look at the repetition and the emphasis that Isaiah puts here. The gold, the silver, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was in his storehouses, not only everything that was in his storehouses, he took them around the country. All that was in his realm, he showed them everything. Imagine Vladimir Putin reaching out with an olive branch to the U.S. and saying, just forget about Ukraine for a minute. We want to help you combat terrorism. And imagine Joey Biden says, come on over and let me show you where we got the launch codes. Let me show you all of our resources. We would, if something like that happened, we would facepalm. What are you people thinking? That's exactly what is going on here. Hezekiah is doing that right here. You know, these envoys have to just be making a checklist. Like they've got a thousand pounds of silver there. There's 10,000 troops in Judah at any one given time. I mean, think of all the notes that Babylon is taking to go back and to eventually come back and take all your nice stuff, Hezekiah. Well, we look at Hezekiah and we cry out because we know, we know the end of the story here. We know where this is going. Not the end of the story. We know the next chapters of the story and that Israel's going to get carried away to Babylon. We are so disappointed in Hezekiah. Matthew Henry said this, though, and I thought this was very, very um, heart-piercing. What is more common than to show our friends our houses and our possessions? When they come into our home, what do we do? We show them all around. Now, I don't, have, uh, I don't own my home, so I can't sin in this way. I'm just kidding. I... I <laughs> It doesn't have to be a home. I do it, I do it with muscle cars. I'm like Uncle Rico. I used to own a couple muscle cars. My dad had muscle cars growing up, and I always tell people about these awesome cars that I had. And there's nothing wrong with showing people the possessions in your house. There's nothing wrong with me necessarily sharing something about some cars that I used to have. But Matthew Henry says it this way, if we do this in the pride of our hearts, to gain applause from men, not giving praise to God, it becomes sin in us as it did in Hezekiah. Hezekiah defaults to showing his possessions and all, everything that he has to these Babylonian envoys, and he misses the opportunity to share the story of Yahweh with the Babylonians. Hezekiah missed an opportunity to point to God's sufficiency instead of his own sufficiency. Oh, you heard that I was sick and recovered? Did you hear about the 185,000 Assyrians that the angel of the Lord slew? The sundial that 
the sundial that reversed, you heard about all that? That was Yahweh. That wasn't me. That wasn't our kingdom that was so great and mighty and powerful. That was the Lord of hosts. You know, Babylonian envoys, he's the one true God, actually. Not, not your idols. And actually, we don't need an alliance with you, Babylon. You need an alliance with Yahweh. You need to be reconciled to the Lord. And this is what Hezekiah's response should have been. This is the opportunity that he missed and instead reverted to just showing his possessions. Don't miss an opportunity to boast in the Lord. When someone comes to you to ask you about what has happened in your life, what God has gifted you with, what God has graced you with, don't miss an opportunity to say, the Lord did this for me. He's my savior. Point to Christ. Point people to the savior that they need, not just the one that you have and need. Well, having missed the opportunity, so to speak, Hezekiah gets an indirect, Calvin called this an indirect admonition from Isaiah. Because what does Isaiah do? Isaiah doesn't bust in and be like, you done screwed up, Hezekiah. He starts with probing questions to prompt Hezekiah to self-reflection. What does he ask? What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? What have they seen in your house? These are the questions that Isaiah starts with. Now, number one, I got a lot from Calvin on this particular chapter. I really appreciated what he had to say. So you'll, you'll hear a lot of Calvin and paraphrases of him with regard to his commentary here. But Calvin noted, number one, the way in which Isaiah came. Again, not with, not with a direct rebuke, that may not have necessarily been wrong, but there is a particular tact in the way Isaiah comes to Hezekiah with the probing questions. And that's one thing I want us to take away as we see how Isaiah interacts with Hezekiah here. Sometimes a direct rebuke might be best, but sometimes we might need to go to somebody with a probing question. Hey, you know, I, I heard you talking to your wife and you sounded really tense. What's going on? A probing question to get someone to self-reflection. That's what Isaiah is doing here. That's a tact that we can take as well. But if the tact applies to a believer like Hezekiah in his sin, it also applies to unbelievers as well and how we can interact with them. Hey, tell me what, tell me what you think about the afterlife. Tell me what your religious tradition is. And as you ask probing questions, get answers, it begins conversation. You get dialogue, and then you move to more questions like Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you want to be well? What does the scripture say? Those are the types of questions that Jesus then asks his audience. And we can take a similar tact as we interact both with believers and unbelievers as well. But Calvin notes that, number one, there's an interesting way in which he came to Hezekiah, but then secondly, that he came. That he came to Hezekiah. Because what happens in Isaiah 37? The Rabshakeh is rattling the sabers, barking at Israel, and Hezekiah goes to the temple. He goes to Isaiah, falling down to, to help, help, help. Isaiah 39, Isaiah has to go to Hezekiah. 
And as we look at that example, Calvin put it this way. This is kind of a paraphrase. We are taught by Isaiah's example that we ought not wait to go to those who are in need of us. When they flatter themselves, bring danger on themselves, either by ignorance, and this, that's this case, Hezekiah's bringing injury upon himself in Israel by his ignorance and by his pride. When they flatter themselves, bring danger on themselves, either by ignorance or even by malice. For it is our duty to gather the wandering sheep. And we ought to do this diligently, even though we are not requested by any person. Is there someone who needs you to go to them? who you might need to ask these kinds of questions to. And even if there's not at this very moment, there will be, right? There is somebody out there who you will encounter who needs you to go to them even though they haven't requested you because they're bringing injury on themselves by ignorance, by malice, by pride, whatever it is. Well, what is the price as Hezekiah has done this thing Isaiah has come to him. Hezekiah says, there's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. And this is where we see the price of pride. We see the price in the judgment that is pronounced. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, verse 5, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up until this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And it doesn't end there. Not only is all your stuff going to be gone, your children are going to be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. He's going to take away all of your stuff and all of the people. Now, it's interesting, the title. Now, Isaiah doesn't have to give God a, a state God's title when he speaks to Hezekiah. Uh, he could have just said, hear the word of the Lord. But he says, hear the word of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, Yahweh Sebaot. We sing that in a mighty fortress whenever we say, Lord Sabaoth, his name. That's Yahweh Sebaot, Sabaoth, the Lord of angel armies. It's as if Isaiah is using the title to remind Hezekiah, God is a God of angel armies. And you're here trying to be buddy-buddy with Babylon. God is the Lord of hosts. Remember? Remember the 185,000 that he just slew? The other thing that we see as we see the judgment pronounced, this reminds us that the reasons for judgment are cumulative and they're broad. What do I mean? Well, it is both Hezekiah's sin in addition to the people's sin that we see as reasons given for God's judgment all throughout these sections of Scripture. Whenever we see it here, we see God's judgment pronounced as a result of Hezekiah's sin. And that does create a direct link between God's judgment and Hezekiah's sin. But we also see in 2 Chronicles 36, the line of kings. In 2 Chronicles 36 is the last chapter of Chronicles, and it goes quickly through Judah's decline. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, they were all X years old whenever they took the throne in Jerusalem and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So it's king after king after king. And then 2 Chronicles 36 says, it's not just the kings. All of the officers of the priests and the people likewise 
were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. They polluted the house of the Lord that he made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of the Lord, despising his words, scoffing at the prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, the reason, therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, Babylon, who killed their young men with the sword and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. The reasons for God's judgment are cumulative and they're broad, covering the people's sin, Hezekiah's sin, the priests, everybody. And so I want us to take that as a point of application for us. Whenever we see God's judgment in the world, when we see God's wrath revealed, be careful to say X judgment was a direct result of X sin. So for instance, abortion is a heinous sin that our country has permitted, right? It would be an oversimplification to say, you know, economy crashes, everything's underwater, and you know what? This is a direct result of the sin of abortion that we've permitted. That would be an oversimplification. It's true that judgment is deserved because of that, but see here, the reasons for judgment span time, they span areas of countries, and they span people. The people, the kings, God's judgments are far more complex, far more involved, and details that we can't even see. I mean, we are given this word, and it's sort of like, you know, we get to see behind the curtain, right? We see that these are the reasons for God's judgment. We don't fully see that in the world. So just remember, the reasons for God's judgment are vast, varied, broad, and they span not just big national sin, but personal sin, sins of leaders. All of that is involved in God's judgment that he brings upon a nation. The other thing I want us to see here, as we look on Hezekiah, how quickly we can forget the mercy of God, how quickly we can forget the grace that we've received. Hezekiah just had his life extended by 15 years in the last chapter. And the envoys come because they heard you were sick and recovered. It's probably not that much time has probably elapsed. And Hezekiah has so quickly forgotten. Calvin put it this way. Hezekiah does not remember that he formerly was half dead and that God rescued him from death by an extraordinary miracle. Hezekiah made a solemn promise that he would continually celebrate the praises of God in the assembly of the godly. And now, when Hezekiah sees that his friendship is sought by the king of Babylon, a powerful monarch sends salute to him. He forgets about the benefits which he had received. And he concludes this section like this. When we see that this good king, Hezekiah is one of the good kings. When we see that this good king falls so quickly and forgets so quickly and is carried away by ambition, let us learn to lay upon ourselves the restraint of modesty, which will keep us constantly and diligently in the fear of God. 
Well, Hezekiah, having heard the judgment of the Lord, what happens next? He actually, what we see is Hezekiah's repentance. The word having been brought to him, you done messed up and everything's going to be taken away. Hezekiah actually repents. And that's what we see in the last couple verses. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Now, when we read this, there could be a there could be a way in which you read it where it's like, is Hezekiah just really not caring about his, his posterity? Is Hezekiah saying like, great, I'm so glad that God is not going to break judgment on me right now and I'm going to have peace. Who cares what comes after me? You know, no, that is not what Hezekiah is saying. Hezekiah is actually repenting and he is actually thanking God for delayed judgment because God doesn't have to delay judgment, right? God brought judgment and chastisement on David in David's own years for David's sin. But God is saying the judgment is going to come a little bit later, and Hezekiah is actually thankful. We know that this is the case because 2 Chronicles 32 gives us some more aspects of Hezekiah's attitude. In those days, Hezekiah became sick. He was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord. The Lord answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. And here's the verse which gives us some insight into Hezekiah's heart. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So we have some insight there into the true heart attitude. It's not a, a wanton disregard for his posterity. He really is repentant and thankful that God's judgment is delayed. And what I want us to see here is God's patience, God's forbearance, how he does delay judgment. And what, what gives God the right to do that? Isn't he a just judge? Doesn't the just judge bring down the hammer whenever evil is done? God can be forbearing and patient and delay judgment because his wrath is displayed at the cross. Romans tells us this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is a wrath satisfying sacrifice. God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And here it is. This was to show the cross, was to show God's righteousness, his punishment upon sin, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God's judgment is delayed because God's judgment is displayed at the cross on Christ, his wrath, his righteousness, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When we see God's mercy, when we see God's patience, when we, when we do not have the fire of God, so to speak, whatever that judgment would look like, fall upon us and this nation right now, it's because God's wrath has been displayed at the cross. He can be patient with sinners because of Christ. That's what gives God this right. Christ, 
Remember why we have God's mercy and patience. God doesn't crush Adam immediately. He didn't crush Israel immediately. He doesn't bring his hammer down on us now because of Jesus, because of the Savior. Our pride is forgiven and we have Christ's humility on our account. The one who has faith in Jesus, God is just and the justifier. He has placed our sins upon Christ. Pride, ambition, selfishness, whatever it is, mirror yourself with Hezekiah. That has been placed upon Christ and Christ's meekness, his humility, his selflessness is counted to us. We have our sins forgiven and have Christ's humility on our account. But the last thing that I want us to realize as we look at this passage and see God's judgment being delayed, that this is an opportunity. When God delays the judgment, whenever he does not strike down people immediately, it is an opportunity for repentance and faith in him. Romans 2, do Are you presuming on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience of God? Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We have a God who is being patient with us right now. If you are in this room and you aren't yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is being patient with you. Do not do what Romans 2 says in presuming on the patience and forbearance of God. It is meant to lead you. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It is an opportunity. Well, in economics, there is a concept called opportunity cost. You know, everything that you spend money or time on is something that is taken away from somewhere else. So, you know, if you spend $10 on candy, you can't spend $10 on that toy. Uh, If you spend an hour watching TV, that's an hour that you aren't spending studying. Or if you choose to pay $12,000 for a car instead of $10,000, even if you can afford the 12K, that that $2,000 difference could have been spent on something else. Everything that we spend money or time on in economics has, has an opportunity cost. Well, the resources in economics are time and money. We have a far, far greater resource in God's mercy and God's grace. What are you spending, so to speak? What are you spending God's mercy and grace on? When we spend it on selfish ambition, on a prideful show, we are wasting, as it were, God's patience, his grace, his mercy, his forbearance. Don't spend it on ingratitude. Don't spend it on ambition. Spend God's grace that you've been gifted, so to speak, on thankfulness. Spend it on telling others what God has done for you. Oh, all this stuff that's happened to me? Let me tell you what, let me tell you what Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, my protector, has done for me. This is the opportunity that we have as we look and use Hezekiah and Isaiah and Christ himself as our example. Now, of course, we do this in reliance on the Holy Spirit not in our own flesh, not in our own strength. We're going to fall short. You will have moments where you have, and you can probably recount them now, where you have so quickly forgotten God's mercy and grace and misspent 
your resource of patience and forbearance that God has granted to you. We're going to fall short. We're going to have times like Hezekiah where we misspend it. But we have a humble Savior who has paid all of the opportunity cost sins that we've done. Praise him for that. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do look upon this account and we see ourselves in many respects. We forget so quickly your mercy and grace. We default to a show of self-sufficiency, of material wealth. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, but we pray that you would conform our hearts to Christ. Thank you for the Savior who himself is the propitiation for our sins. He is the wrath-satisfying sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for him. We pray in his name. Amen.